0: today we're going to be listening to Ralph Moore and Ralph is uh, described as one of the most uh, interesting and successful multipliers of disciples and churches in America we really need to listen to Ralph because he has been a man that has done this in a western context in America and this is one of our biggest challenges is how do we see disciples and churches multiplied in the West Ralph Moore started in 1971 with Hope Chapel in Hermosa Beach in California. It started with 12 people. And today, uh, about 2,300, 2,500 churches have been planted through his ministry. Over a quarter of a million people are in those uh, fellowships and churches. But interestingly, Ralph's real focus is making disciples and planting new churches and uh, developing what's called micro church networks. Uh, He really engages with a post-Christian world and uh, he also really focuses and pours into leadership in the age of confusion and upheaval. Movement in the West. What does it look like? Great to have Ralph Moore with us. Ralph, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your history? I, I see in 1971 you're yeah, I heard your story of going to Hermosa Beach and planting Hope Chapel, and there from twelve people to now over thousands of churches today, and hundreds of thousands of people involved in that. Tell us a bit about your journey.
1: Well, I I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I found the Lord along with my dad when he was thirty and I was five, and so I up in a in what would today be called a seeker driven church there was event oriented always a big splash uh, i I went away to a Bible college thinking I was smart and sophisticated and so was my church and I found a kind of a beaten down bunch of people who weren't doing much and um, in 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 my childishness I I, you know, 19 years old, you know, everything and I'm going to prove these people wrong. And so I started just soaking my mind in the book of Acts. Actually, I, my goal was to read it seven times a week, the whole thing. I probably made it five times a week, my second year in that college. And at first I, I'm, I'm impressed, of course, with the bigness of the church in at the end of Acts chapter two, not really seeing the real end of Acts chapter two. Where it's relational, it's smaller, it's it's more household oriented, oikos oriented, and then, and then as I'm you know reading through Book of Acts, it's like I see it diffused, and I'm confused by that, and thinking something is, had went wrong. They weren't doing it right, and then as I soaked in it, I begin to realize the the power that they had. I, I'm not sure I would even use the word multiplication at that time, but that's what I ran into, and. And then I ran into a guy in the Philippines who was doing a church planting movement. And it started out in a conventional denominational Bible college. You got to graduate or you can't do anything. And they had students who would get partway through and have to return to their home village or whatever. And they'd end up planting a church. And this denomination was wise enough to bless it. And and then when that church planted a church, with no formal education, and the pastor, they blessed that. I'd later on met the man, and he challenged me, and uh, we were already planting churches by the time that I met him, but I was still thinking, we're going to try and be big here. And he really got after me about multiplication. And And so by the time that I left the church I started in Hermosa Beach, there were about 2,000, 2,200, 2,300 People every Sunday there, probably about 3,000 people altogether because, you know, people in Southern California don't always make perfect attendance in church. And um, so I was the 30th guy to leave to plant a church out of the church that I had planted. And we went to Hawaii with a goal of of moving the needle from 4% of the population called themselves Christians, including Jehovah's Witnesses, to we were going to see it in in one decade uh, be five percent, which would be we 'd add one percent of the population to the population of the church and it took eleven years, but we ended up doing it. The goal was never to do it all ourselves it was always to to help other people as well as do it ourselves and um, we We we've, we've kept on planting, and a lot of ours frankly are one and done they don 't reproduce. Uh, but the ones that reproduce kind of go nuts on it. I, I've i been thinking a lot lately. In fact, I'm writing a book for Exponential about evangelism, about how we can equip our people uh, to do the work of an evangelist. And I think one of the, the issues in the church, because in America, uh, churches are looking now for a rationale to abandon the whole concept of evangelism. And, uh, you know, you run into these arguments, and there's a lot of more books being written about evangelism, but then you, you, the undercurrent is, uh, like you said, we're on that slippery slope, uh, we're losing favor, in fact, we're gaining hostility from the culture. And I and I think we, we're too focused on methodology and structure. Uh, even some of the disciple-making tools that are out there, people who... Really believe in discipling people into Christ. It's it's a little mechanical, a little bit more overt. What we've always done. I mean, we started out. You know, when I was young, we we attempted a, a Billy Graham crusade and put a lot of energy into that and got zero results. And and then we were heavy into street evangelism, and <clears throat> I was really into teaching apologetics and. And in those days that worked, you could kind of almost argue someone into faith. And then we begin to see that didn't work. And so we started thinking we need to friend them into faith. You know, Paul wrote in one place, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, you know, buddy up to people. And and as you do in in the friendship, you're going to have an exchange of ideas and feelings and opinions. And uh, it takes longer this way but it, there's something that runs real deep in people's lives. And so we found that it was pretty easy, and we stumbled into this. We weren't that smart, but it was pretty easy to go from this idea of uh, of discipling someone into Christ to con- for there to be a disciple-making continuum that moves all the way to uh, them functioning, you know, pastoring other people in the church and Eventually, uh, that's where we were getting all these church planters from. Uh, most of our church planters came to us by coming to faith through somebody in our church. And then the, there was this progression. And so, you know, one of my friends uh, in Japan said that the secret sauce of Hope Chapel is that we talk to each other and that we built a culture around people. Talking, sharing their life, sharing their pain, praying with each other. And I think he's right. I I, I think it, 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 you know, culture beats structure any day. And so that's, that's kind of my story. It's, it's not a very exciting story. It just, it it just happened. (laughs)
0: That's fantastic. And uh, Ralph, you were, you're a surfer. And, um, you came out of this, this movement that we look back on it was before my time, but it was the, the Jesus movement, the Jesus people of the late sixties and early seventies. I don't know if you're part of that or it was in the swirl of where, um, you were, um, being birthed, but do you want to make a comment on, on that? Because, um, we, we hear of this movement that happened and it was a, it was a movement um, that w- happened out of the swirl of of culture upheaval in the west and um and all these um these hippies and these people uh came to christ and and then uh, some outstanding leaders came out out of that uh season and um yeah what's what's your comment on on that season there
1: well it was um it was a time when the church was depressed much like it is. In America today, not much of anything was happening. I was—I um, had graduated from a Bible college, and the thing was going on. I remember my younger sister came to the to the school I was in uh, in Los Angeles from Oregon, where we grew up, and she went to a a, a love inn in in uh, a big park in L.A. one day, and she she watched these people jump on some guy and start choking him and. I was upset. It's like uh, my little sister doesn't belong doing that kind of stuff. And she's out there with all these hippies and, you know, I'm in the Bible college real straight lace and all that. And it turned out they were undercover cops and some guy had, had apparently swallowed a balloon full of drugs or, you know, a condom or something. But um I, I was kind of down on it. And then I I remember I, I, I had attended um the college I was attending Azusa Pacific College and then I, I went to a local community college. I went just to pick up some credits because it was easier and it's closer to where I lived and worked as a youth pastor. And walking across the campus and I see this bumper sticker there. At that time, the Vietnam War was going on. A lot of bumper stickers. Another mother against the Vietnam War, another student against the Vietnam War. And, it, and I'm in a big school. There's like 20,000 students in this. School college. So it's a pretty big parking lot. But as I walked to my car, I saw four cars that all had the same bumper sticker said, another student for God. And I dropped out of school that day. It's like, God is doing something, and I'm going to be part of it. And so my little straight lace suit and tie self, I dove in. And um, with I was a youth pastor, we were doing a lot of stuff with the Hollywood free paper, which was kind of the Jesus rag that Was actually went around the world, and uh, we saw a lot of evangelism, a a, a lot of again face to face friendship evangelism. And then when I became a pastor, again I I, I throw on the suit and tie because that's what you do in those days. And and uh, first week there's twelve people in church, and uh, this one girl uh, brought her friend, and my my buddy and I went over to her house, led her to the Lord. That following week, she brought her friends. They're they're hippies, they're bikers. It's a topless dancer named Kitten. Uh one guy uh, is trying to open a door, one of those breaker bar doors, you know, with a fire door, and and I'm over there in my little suit and tie and helping this guy. He's got a black leather jacket and flaming long red hair and, and he kicked the door and it got a hole in it and but it opened and and he's cursing at it. And I uh I, I went home that day and, and cried tears and go, God, I'm in the wrong place. I don't belong with these people. Here's the cool end to that story. Last Thursday, one week ago today, that guy, Mike Howard, his buddy, Randy Weir, and I got together and we recorded a podcast. It's going to come out later on about what lessons do we think the Jesus movement has for us today. And then the story goes on. This guy, Mike, he, he got really serious with Jesus and uh, there was a friend of his, a guy named Rick, and, and Rick was, uh, Rick Follenweider was his name, and he was a bad boy. He'd, he had, uh, gone to prison for drugs and, you know, lifted a lot of weights, come out of there, kind of beating up anything that moved. You know, he was just fearsome. And, and so Mike is, every time we see Mike, it's pray for Rick, pray for Rick, pray for Rick. And, uh, pretty soon Rick shows up at church, but he came to beat up the pastor. And a, a, a guy who was in his, by this time, I think in his 60s, uh, put a bear hug on him. And by now, I don't look like a pastor in a suit, but this old guy does. And before the guy can hit him, he, he, he wraps his arms around him and goes, hey, man, Jesus loves you, and so do I. That guy, Rick, that night interrupted the meeting we're in. I just want to say something here. My friend, Mike, he's, he's just been all over me about Jesus and I came to church to beat up the pastor, and but I just accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. Because And he starts crying. He points at the old guy, Will Hindley was his name. Well, that guy went out and, and kind of did the same deal. You know, pray for Robert. Pray for Robert. I, I'm looking for my friend Robert. It's a guy he had turned on to drugs when he was dealing. He brought Robert to the Lord. Robert Berenger is in Lima, Peru. Leading a church of about ten thousand people, and they've started near four hundred churches in Peru. So these were wild times. Uh, there was a lot that was insanely wrong. Uh, people were into authority. Uh, people were into some pretty weird sexual things. There was uh, there was even a theology running around about drugs. You know, God made every green herb and that kind of a thing. But we were one of the three really surviving um i i would i don't know, i hate to use this word forces movements I, I don't know how you say it otherwise but calvary chapel was a main driver um the hollywood free paper and all that went on around that was another main driver and then there was us hope chapels and we were just the little kids on the block but we were planting churches we were reaching these people um, John Wimber and the vineyards came on later. Uh, actually, the first vineyard was started in a living room of some people in our church. And then it just kind of grew from there. Again, Ken Gullickson started the first one. And it was later on when Wimber and Chuck had their little frock out of that, that Wimber, you know, joined the vineyard. But so we've survived. Uh, the Calvaries have survived. The vineyards have survived a lot of stuff hasn't survived from that thing, but it it was truly a move of God. And, and I, I would say that I didn't fully recognize it until it was over. I mean, we all called it a revival and all that, but we also uh, thought we were all pretty smart. I mean, we're baby boomers, right? And these guys that came before us didn't know how to do church, and we do. And then one day it was just over, and, and you knew it was over. You had to kind of go back and start, you know, have a church softball team or something, those kinds of things that we had all disdained during those kind of five or six easy years when the spirit just breathed on anything you did, all, all of a sudden you had to work at it. And so I think there's some real strong lessons. Uh, it, it was very, highly relational. It was highly accepting. You know, one of my friends uh, taught me this just this little phrase, love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The church should be about all three of those things. Uh, the church has a very hard time with acceptance. You know, I I look at people that got tattoos all over their body, and I judge them to this day. I'll embrace them, but I still judge them. And I think that we let our 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 minds be clouded by, you know, whatever somebody's into, and The last time I read the New Testament, I I read something about salvation comes through faith. And it says, believe and be baptized. It doesn't say believe and change your lifestyle and be baptized. I believe that's a work of the Holy Spirit that, that we would call sanctification that I can contribute to by teaching the word. But I can't enforce it. I can't demand it. Uh, certainly not going to demand it before I accept people. The two guys I mentioned that were in the podcast had gone to a, a, a legalistic church before they ended up with us. They were just young hippies and they were told that they had to change the way that they dressed and get a haircut or they couldn't come back. And, um, that for us, just meeting those kids was a lesson in acceptance. We're not here to, you know, judge your appearance or, even the bad things you're doing in your life. It's just come on in. We're here to love you. And, and we know that power of the Holy spirit, if he gets in your heart, you will change. It's not our job. It's his.
0: Mm. Awesome. I'm going to make sure that we grab that, uh, links to the podcast that you're talking about and put it in our, in our feed so that people can link in and have a listen. I think it'll be a, a great blessing. Um, Amazing, you just said one day it was over, and um, suddenly you had to go back. What What do you think was the uh, the the thing? Uh, some of the dynamics that caused the Jesus movement to to emerge, and um, and uh, what other lessons are
1: there that we can we can be learning from that season? Well, one of the lessons that was really paramount was the the, the, the pastors and leaders that didn't embrace it. And embrace it, I don't mean, you know, I mean, some people try to, you know, start playing guitars in church, and it wasn't right for them to do. But by embrace it, I mean embrace the the younger people that were doing these things and making some mistakes along the way. So those that didn't uh, continue to dwindle, those that embraced it, God breathed on them in some wonderful ways. What the the thing that I think that was uh, important in terms of the dynamic, I, I I'm not quite sure, really, what touched it off, and, and I lived through it. Um, you know, this was the era of Woodstock. The whole hippie thing was had a lot to do with sharing, and you know, and spirituality. There was kind of a pseudo spirituality. So all of a sudden, to talk about Jesus wasn't like. Band anymore. The, the, the world I grew up in in high school, I went to a, an engineering high school, a public school, but it was science and math and engineering. And you didn't talk, you, you did not talk about spiritual things or anything about the spirit realm. Nobody believed in that. So I was kind of a closet Christian, uh, through that experience, but suddenly it's, it's okay. It's cool. You can talk about Jesus, but you know, they're going to talk about Jesus and Krishna in the same breath. But the conversations were able to happen. The second thing that I saw happening is there. It's funny because we all now have all these coffee shops all over the country. But we had this plethora of Christian coffee houses, none of which I ever knew served coffee. If anything, they served soft drinks or whatever. But, you know, people would get go to the carpet store and get their used sample books and and put carpet squares all over the floors and all over the walls and posters and whatever and 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 it would be like a little micro church. Uh, we had one in the back of our church, and we weren't smart enough to realize that what went on on Saturday night, which sometimes was bigger than what went on on Sunday morning, was actually a church with a different congregation. And um, this this uh, Mike and Franny Baldwin led this thing, and they were hippies. I mean, I, I can remember when they they went from the occupation of selling drugs to selling sand candles. they go to the beach, dig a little hole in the sand, pour hot wax in it with wicks, and then go sell it at the swap meet. And um, these, these young kids started this thing and came and asked for, you know, can we do this? And yeah, I, you know, I kind of, in those days, was afraid to say no to anybody. So I said yes. And uh, pretty soon he got a little band going and, and Michael do a Bible study every night. And, you know, it was, it was the, it was called the sunshine in, S O N, shine in. And if I looking back, I'm realizing that that was a church being born. And here we were, we're planting churches at this point, but we're not smart enough to see that this is a church. But one of the things that I saw as a dynamic in the, in the Jesus movement was that. These little kind of deals were popping up everywhere. And somehow the established clergy endorsed it. And And I think that's the, the biggest factor, human factor in the whole thing, is that uh, we saw something in these people and we let it run its course. And in fact, we funded it. We encouraged it in whatever ways we could. Uh, And it was going on massively across the country. And and then there was this communication pieces. There were several of these little Jesus newspapers. But the one that was the most important, because it got up to 2 million in circulation, was called the Hollywood Free Paper. And a guy named Dwayne Peterson, uh, who today is an Orthodox priest. But Peterson was an unemployed children's actor from somewhere in the Midwest kids TV and he was in Hollywood and he had this little apartment and he saw these hookers work, work on the sidewalk across the street from where he lived. But the sidewalk was the front of a, a a denominational church, an old line established denominational church. And he watched the pastor come out and, and, you know, yell at the girls and try to drive them off and they didn't leave and they yelled back and whatever. And then 20 minutes later, the police rolled up and he realized that pastor turned those girls in and he decided he was going to do something about it. And I don't know whatever possessed him, but he, he printed um, 5,000 copies up for 150 bucks. I remember him telling me this because we were pretty good friends after this. And um, the inside, it was just a, it was like a tabloid newspaper, one big sheet of paper that folded, you know, so it was like four pages. Um, and the, the whole inside was just uh, John ten ten, the scripture with a felt pen. And then on the front of it was some kind of a story about these prostitutes and God loving them. And on the back of it was his testimony. And he went out and handed out 5,000 copies and people wanted them. And so they started publishing this thing and, and uh, there, it was just going around the world. So there was another factor to the Jesus movement which now we have in the internet was that there was easy communication between groups. We were connected with people in Hawaii long before I moved to Hawaii. We were connected with people in India. And so I, I think when you start to have this endorsement, you got a groundswell, you have the ability to communicate with one another and encourage one another. Uh, you still have to have something of the Holy Spirit that. I can't define and I don't think we can conjure up. I think there's a lot of things we can do right. And that if we do them right, then the Lord will bless them. But we do need the blessing of the Lord. It can't be us.